Hi, this is Bruce Clark, host of Twip Weddings. You're listening to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for This Week in Photo is provided by the Cashfly Content Delivery Network. Send your web content blazingly fast with Cashfly. And now, pay as you go. Start with two terabytes free by going to C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com and use the promo code TWIP. TWIP is brought to you by FreshBooks, the simple cloud accounting solution that's helping thousands of new entrepreneurs and small business owners save time billing and get paid faster. Sign up for free at FreshBooks.com and join over 5 million users running their businesses with ease. This episode of TWIP is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash TWIP. This is TWIP, episode 444, Drone Registration Time. The drone or UAV industry is still very much in its formative stages. There are many companies creating amazing, mature, and highly sophisticated products, yet the industry still remains in a bit of flux, despite the fact that to date there have been hundreds of thousands of drones sold worldwide. What has many purchasers and companies sitting eagerly on the sidelines pertains to the question of what laws and regulations will be established to govern this new industry. Well, it's the dawn of a new day, at least here in the United States. The FAA, also known as the Federal Aviation Administration, has finally released its registration requirements for U.S.-based drones, as well as the non-compliance penalties, both punitive and criminal, for current and future drone pilots. In this episode, professional photographers Martin Bailey and Matt Granger join me to discuss this next chapter in the drone story, as well as other stories making news this week in photo. It's Monday, December 21st, 2015, and this is TWIP. All right, folks, and welcome back to another episode of This Week in Photo. This is my first show back after leaving the country for a couple of weeks. The other two guys in the show are always running around the globe, so this is nothing new to them, but it's new to me. I was in Vietnam for for just under, just about three weeks, around 20 days, um, hanging out, r- running up and down the country. Man, I went up to, we started in Hanoi and went all the way down to, actually, I we terminated the trip in Phu Quoc, which is a, was a little tiny island off the coast of, of Vietnam in the South China Sea. But uh, had, it was amazing. You know, I got to say, I'll tell you, I'm going to record like something special to talk about it. I want to spend twip time yakking about that trip. But I got to tell you, a lot of revelations on gear, how to pack, what to shoot, what not to shoot, how to shoot, whether, the importance of weather sealing, all that <laughs> stuff. Because <laughs> it tends to rain in Southeast Asia. So <laughs> a little bit, a little bit from time to time. But it was good. So on the show, without further ado, we've got uh, two of my good friends, Mr. Matt Granger and Mr. Martin Bailey. Hey, guys. Welcome. Hey. Thank you. Hey. All right, Matt, let's start with you. You, my friend, we've tried to get you on the show a couple of times. And for whatever reason, gremlins have been throwing wrenches in the gears and whatnot and stopping you from coming on TWIP. This time, we got you. So welcome, finally, to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me back. Fingers crossed. 
Yeah, fingers crossed. So what's what's been going on? You haven't been on in like I have no idea how long it's been. It's been forever. What what you been up to? I can't remember. Uh, well, yeah, lots been going on. Um, yeah, yeah. This I think maybe the first time I'm actually dialing in from my studio. We've been when I'm on a an fishing island somewhere or this or that. So. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. 2015's been crazy with travel, but I've been actually the time you're off traveling has been I've had like six weeks at home. It's the longest I've had in the studio for a couple of years. So I've been all settled down and getting fat and ready to get on the road again. Good, good, yeah, and I, I, I know how you feel because I, I kind of feel like I want to go back out on the road. It's a, it's a different life when you're living out of a suitcase. And mm-hmm. this was my oh, there's a cat right there. This was the first time that I ever had laundry done while on the road. So I've gone so long. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't do. It's normally warm enough as long as it's not humid that you can do uh, hand washing in Southeast Asia. Yeah, but the problem is it's so humid there. Stuff never dries. Yeah. <laughs> it just it would just be in a constant state of dampness and and you know a recipient for mold. But uh, anyway, man, welcome. We got lots of stuff to talk about. Martin Bailey also here. What's going on, Martin? You hosted a show while I was gone, right? Yeah, a lot of fun. We uh, we had a good conversation, and uh, it, it's always a pleasure to be on Twip anyway. So it's nice taking yeah. the helm every so often. I love it. I love when you do that. It's uh, and it's easy just to hand over the reins to you because I know I can I can sit on the on the scooter that I was riding around in Southeast Asia <laughs> and, and be and be assured that Twip will still be here when I get back to get back to the states. So very yeah. good. So what, what's up with you, Martin? Are you got, are you just back from a trip? Or are you heading out anytime soon? Nah, I I've had a couple of months. Well, just over a month at this point in the studio, but. Um, I'm off out again in January, start start my first of my, my three back-to-back winter tours in January. And uh, and then, you know, I've got a, a good 2016 lined up, plenty on the books. But, yeah, it's it's been a same as Matt, really. A, the last sort of this, this is a, a relatively easy time for me. Um, well, I mean, I say an easy time. I'm always doing something. I'm trying to write my next ebook and all sorts of other things. But, yeah, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a relaxed time of year for me. You guys are always, that's why I love doing the show because you, you know, I feel like I'm doing a lot and then I talk to you guys. <laughs> I realize that I'm kind of sweeping up a little bit and you guys are just crushing it. Like Matt, last time we talked, I remember, I think the last show you were on, you were telling us about this project you were working on where you were doing nudes in like busy places, like yeah. going in like really quickly and getting shot and getting out of there without getting caught and making these insanely cool artistic pieces. How did, how did that go? So that we must have been talking a year ago then because, um, yeah. yeah, that's yeah. all done and wrapped and a lot of it's actually on the wall back here. And some of that is from Vietnam as well. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, it was good. Um, that was my second book. We got it out uh, the start of this year. That one was Public Bodies. The first one was Private Bodies, so people in their own homes. And now I'm shooting a couple of other ones. And I think it must be a tour thing, right, Martin, that this uh, sort of December tends to be a quieter period. But... Honestly, I think the last month has been the busiest of my entire life. Really? <laughs> Instead That's of good, coming right? home and then chilling, started a new show and I just released a new six-month course. So we've been working like, I don't know, 100-hour weeks to get that up all up online. Line. So going to Vegas in two weeks for work and that'll be the relaxing time. <laughs> Love it. Love it. And we're, we are getting a little static. I'm hopefully we'll, we'll be able to fix that in post. But if that comes through in the recording, apologies for that. We, we heard it when we, uh, we were doing kind of the green room setup and we're not sure where it's coming from, but, uh, we will, 
we will try to fix it if you can hear it when this show actually hits the air. Um, but before I before I leave you, Matt, that you were mentioning this course that you have. So mm. what is this? Is it like a membership course? Is it a downloadable thing? Is it on Linda? Where is it? Oh, no, so it's my own one. But yeah, so it's uh, six months. So it's 26 weekly lessons. And all my other courses have been you buy it and then you just download it all in one go. But this one gets delivered in 26 weekly lessons. So people get a video tutorial and assignments and course notes and that kind of thing. And they're, so each week they log in and they've got a new lesson waiting there for them. So we just That's launched cool. a week ago, and so people will be getting Unit 2 today. And so it's set up so if someone signs up in a year's time, they start at week one. Okay, okay. Yeah. And that and that is where, just before we continue, what's the URL Ooh, for that? Plug, plug, plug. Thank you. Uh, MattGranger.com <laughs> forward slash kickstart. It's called Kickstart Your Photography. There you go. There you go. Hey, plugs. I love giving plugs when you're doing something, when people are doing things that are useful for the TWIP audience, mm. you know. It's, Thank like you. Were, I just don't like to selling cram socks. them in. <laughs> <laughs> if you're selling Matt Granger socks, I would be plugging it, you know. Ooh, that's a good idea, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, that's a new series for you, you know, yeah, socks yeah. in uh, strange places. There you go. Let me get your toes out. <laughs> Let's start off with story number one, and this is about the FAA. We've been following this for, for several years now, the whole idea of the legalities around flying these UAVs or unmanned aerial vehicles mm -hmm. or aircraft systems or whatever you want to call it, whatever you want to uh, apply to the acronym. But the... The gist of the story has been up till now that's been kind of in this gray area as to the legalities around flying these aircraft around. And lots of people, as we've been reporting, have been doing stupid things with them, like flying them into brides' heads and, you know, uh, into the White House and, you know, stuff like that. And then we knew it was only a matter of time before the FAA finally said, OK, we need to put some rules down. We were worried. We, I, I would say the collective, we photographers or anybody that's interested in using these kinds of tools were worried that they were going to come down too heavy handed and kind of crush the industry. But uh, Eric Chang, who used to work at DJI and he's now a big, fr big uh, friend of TWIP, let us know that uh, DJI was actually on the consortium along with a, a bunch of other companies that were helping to provide recommendations to the FAA. And it looks like the result of those recommendations and, you know, whatever legal ramblings that went on in the government have come to fruition. And now we have this new, um, what do they call it, drone registration program. And it officially starts today. As we record this, it's December 21st, 2015. And this, this goes into place today. So a couple things I want to talk about. So we'll link to the, to the, you know, to the notes about this. DP Review did a good write-up on this, so we'll link into that. But what I wanted to talk about here was if you guys think that this is fair. So under the new system, all aircraft must be registered with the FAA, including those operated, quote, by modelers and hobbyists. And once registered, the drone operators must carry a registration certificate during operation. And the new system, it says, only applies to drones weighing more than just over half a pound or 250 grams. And it says... Um, or less than 55 pounds, so somewhere in that window. So, you know, just over the uh, the weight of a single stick of butter is the, I think Eric Chang may have come up with that metric. So, and the exception, the only exception to this is if you're flying indoors, which some of the drones we know can do that really well, especially the DJI Inspire, you don't need a, uh, you don't need a, a, a license or anything. Now, the other kicker to this, or the big kicker to, to this in my head are, the penal the penalties for not complying 
So this seems, I don't know, this seems a little draconian to me. It says failure to register could result in civil penalties of up to $27,500, which is probably more than the drone cost, I would imagine, <laughs> and criminal penalties of up to three years in prison and $250,000. So I'm, I'm guessing if they cut, catch you flying and you're not doing anything wrong, they can fine you up to twenty seven grand, twenty seven point five grand. But if you do something illegal... It, like flying into the White House, they can put you in jail for three years and bill you for a quarter of a million dollars. Matt Granger, what do you think about this? I mean, obviously, this is restricted to the United States right now, but but we'll you know we'll see how other countries implement their various rules. But this is a, this is an interesting development. What what do you say? Is this fair or is it unfair? Uh, well, yeah, as you said, with them getting so popular, something was going to have to happen, you know, um, they were going to have to regulate it. It seems like all the countries around the world, even when I went to Bhutan, they're getting uh, people wanting to fly drones and they're like, we don't know how to regulate this. So yeah. to be honest, I'm glad it came through FAA. Um, you know, it's a complicated issue and it always will be because we want to be on the side of photographers, but sometimes you have to take into account the you know, common sense argument that I'm just glad it didn't come down to a privacy argument. I'm glad it's come down to a, a flight safety argument that, sure, that's fair enough that if you fly something that's the size of a cat into a plane, you're really putting people's lives in danger. So in that sense, I think registering isn't too bad. Um, yeah. We'll see where it goes from there. But in terms of the penalty, I don't know. You you know what is the penalty of for smoking on a you know lift can be five thousand dollars or something. So I guess this is worst case scenario that if you did something and it resulted in something catastrophic, that there has to be a penalty there. So I'm assuming that if you just are out flying in your local park, you're not going to be hit with the maximum fine. Yeah, yeah. It's just it, Martin. I want to have, definitely have you chime in on this as well because one of the things that when I read this, I think I was on a plane or something reading this, and I was thinking. Okay, this is this is good. I'm glad we we finally have some resolution on this. But then, just like we were talking about many for many years on the show, how enforceable is this? You know, because I think I read in here, if I'm not mistaken, that you don't if you if you don't necessarily have to have a registration number on the drone itself, right? Mm -hmm. So, how do you like if you if if I'm flying, put this into into a real life scenario? If I have a I'm a drone pilot and I'm reasonably good, I've you know, taken a few months and I've read a couple of tutorials and I figured it out. I'm flying around and I fly it into a crowd of people and I injure someone. Hmm. I'm a mile away. <laughs> how, how how is it enforceable if you don't have to have a serial number or anything on the device? Or, or did I miss that? Or, and what do you, and overall, what do you think of this this movement? Yeah, I think it's I was surprised to see that it's it's a registration for the person, for the pilot um, mm -hmm. rather than the. The actual drone and that that does leave a big hole in the whole system but i think that yeah. the what they've probably done is they're trying to make it easy for people to do this and, and if you're a drone flyer then you're probably going to change the drone every year or so every couple of years right. and so you know i think that there's it's okay to probably the way they've set it up as an initial stab but i reckon that there's there, there is there does need to be some sort of a connection between the drone and the the owner and yeah. I think that the, I mean, we've talked about a number of things like having them, uh, having the drone 
by law have to have some some sort of a beacon system where it it says I'm I'm this drone this is my number and I'm here squawk. you know just yeah squawk yeah. your ID yeah right and and so the uh, I think that what's going to happen probably is that you know the, I think the biggest thing is that it needs to be simple and what they need to do is to say have a registration system but then make it really easy for the drone owner to to then go into a system and say this is the serial number of my most recent drone or these are my drones and these what I might be flying. And then if it's easy, people will do it, you know, and people want to fly drones. And, I, and I'm sure there's not going to be many people that unless they do have the wrong sort of motives, there's not going to be that many people that will be trying to circumvent these, these things. I, if it's just a case of putting something in your pocket, you know, carrying a license, I don't think it's a huge thing. What I, what I reckon will happen though, most of the time when people are trying are flying drones, you can you can see where they are. I mean, I know that these things can travel huge distances now. You can do you can set it all up by GPS and just have them go do stuff. So, but I think that there's at the end of the day, if you've got a piece of equipment that's cost you several thousand dollars, and it and it drops down somewhere, you're probably going to go try and find it anyway. Mm-hmm. So, I, I think you know, unless there are malicious intentions by the flyer, I it, it sounds like a good move. I think that it's well, it's probably what we needed. You know, if if with that example, if I was flying a drone around and it dropped somewhere unknown and I had an inkling that it may have hurt somebody and there's nothing that ties me to that drone and I know mm. that I'm going to jail for three years <laughs> <laughs> or going to pay $250,000, you know what? I'm probably going to eat the cost of that drone. <laughs> probably <laughs> probably not... so. Probably so. And yeah. if I didn't, that would be the Darwin Award for me to go <laughs> find it. You know, it's yeah. like... I mean, it, it really is. It, I think that it will come down to some sort of a linkage between the the device and the flyer. I it it doesn't seem enforceable without that. But you know, that, yeah, I don't that's know. what that, that's what had me scratching my head because I'm thinking, you know, I own a car. You know, I've had motorcycles, and typically, I need a license to to operate these things, and the vehicle itself is tied to me through the license plate and the VIN number on, on those vehicles. So if something happens with that vehicle, they can pretty much tie it back to me and come after me mm. with the drones. they it seems like they only went halfway. So it's mm. like, okay, you know, you registered, you have a pilot's license now go fly anything. But if you crash it, we're going to come get you, but we have no idea how we're going to come get you, but we're going to come get you. Mm. Well, that's yeah. the thing. It's a, it's a registration, not a license. That that could be the next yeah. step. That if things go wrong, then they're going to start making people do a test to show they know how to fly them. Um, yeah. And yeah. it is a slippery slope. And again, I want to be on the side of photographers. But like I said, with Bhutan, I was flying and taking all necessary steps. And I did still get it caught in a massive tree. You know, it became non-responsive and crashed into a tree. And if that had have been a light pole and there was someone standing under it, then it could have hurt someone. So it is, yeah. a, I think, a real risk. But like you say, I think the, the devices already do have those identifiers for the remote and the quad to talk. There was already talk before about that they might, when they see a drone, that there's systems they have that they could take it over and then assume control of it so you no longer do. And I don't know if you mm. saw this one, but in Tokyo, they're training people. This is amazing. Did you see this news article about what they're doing in Tokyo? No, yeah. no. Yeah. So whilst the FAA is, um, you know, reg- legislating and making rules, Tokyo is training officers to fly even bigger drones that carry giant nets to catch drones <laughs> that are flying in unallowed airspace. It's, it's legit. They've bought the biggest DJI drones 
and it's going to be live February. They've got people that will be flying around Tokyo oh, catching love, drones. I would love to see footage of them catching road growth. That'd be great. There's a gif oh. of it. It's amazing. It, it, it was on the TV here. They've they've got their – it's around the airports mainly because they don't want people flying near near airports, which is a, obviously a sensible thing to do. Yeah. And it's just like these big Robocop drones, these big black things that um, they, they have these nets, just a That's huge so – like cool. a, just walk. So that's science fiction. That is science fiction yeah. right there. It's great. Are though. you based in Tokyo, yeah. Martin? Yeah, yeah. I'm sitting in Tokyo right now. Okay. Is it a, a big issue there? Because I was really surprised. My um, a video I did on using a drone got licensed to be used on a Beat Takeshi talk show. I wondered why on earth would they want an English speaker for that? Is it a massive issue in Japan? No, they... Well, the, the main... The thing that launched drones into the public eye here was some guy as a protest against them considering restarting some of the nuclear power plants after the after the issues that we had in Fukushima someone filled one of filled a pet a pet a plastic bottle with sand radioactive sand from near the the Fukushima power plant and flew it in a drone and and dropped it on the the top of the um the prime minister or whatever you know the uh, Abbey, the 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 premier here um yeah. he's he they dropped it on top of his house basically his his official residence and the, the the police didn't find it for a few days which was a little bit embarrassing um and then but but that sort of threw them into the limelight and now so everyone gotcha. you know, there's been this big thing you know they they were used it could have, i think the point was was that it could have been a bomb and yeah. nobody knew about it and so you know it was i think it was it was a good thing that the person didn't take it to extremes, but he was obviously got something to talk, something to say, and he wanted people yeah. to notice. He yeah, used he used it. You know, it was pretty it was pretty cool the way he did it, but it wasn't doesn't make it right. It's just irradiated sand. I mean, just quote irradiated sand. But I mean, it could have been something much yeah. more horrific. It could Not have been, a bomb. Yeah. It could have been something biological or whatever, mm, right? Yeah, yeah you know, yeah. That, which would have arguably been much worse and much more silent and deadly. Could you know, I was been. thinking like, Matt, you know, or both you guys, when I was um, one of the cities I visited was um, was Saigon or Ho Chi Minh City and which is one of the most densely populated places on the planet. Like it's, it's hard to even describe. And when I was planning for this trip, I was thinking, oh, man, I got and I said this on the show. I'm going to buy a drone. I'm going to buy a drone and take a drone with me which was probably deciding not to do that was probably <laughs> one of the smartest things I've ever done <laughs> because, I mean, the, kind of resisting the allure of getting aerial footage of a city like that was, is just like, I would have done it. I'm sure if, that, if I had that thing <laughs> with me, I would have done it. I would have risked it. Um, but, but invariably something probably would have went wrong with all the radio signals and everything flying around there. And, and if it fell out of the air, there's no way it could not have hit someone or something important. Or knocked six people off the one scooter. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, tw <laughs> pulling, you know, carrying something else. It's, it's crazy. So I don't know. I mean, what, what do you so, Matt, you kind of alluded to the fact that maybe this is just a first step in the U.S. with the FAA saying, you know, we're registering registration is first and then maybe ne next might be licensure where, OK, now you have to get a license uh, to fly these things. You think it's going in that direction? I don't want to kill the industry and I don't want to, you know, overly penalize photographers. But if people are going to do it, like you say, in that kind of an area where it's maybe it, it, there is danger or it is it's going to be their business to fly bigger ones that are carrying, say, a DSLR to film 
cinematic type stuff for clients, then I think it probably is reasonable that they actually, you know, forklift drivers need to have a ticket to be able to work. So if you're going to fly something in the air, potentially in airspace, potentially, I mean, that has blades literally spinning through the air. Um, it's a pain because it is something that people can enjoy just as a really, you know, non-threatening hobby. But when you, there has to be, and I feel like I'm getting old to even acknowledge that there is a distinction there and, you know, we need to regulate at some point. But the risk yeah. is that it goes too far. Everyone needs licensing and then, you know, the industry will crash. But it's obviously becoming a huge industry. DJI this week yeah. just launched a new flagship store in Shanghai and it looks like the bloody bird's nest Olympic village. It's enormous. Um, I saw FAA also release uh, an app that will tell you where, where, if where you're standing is a place that you're allowed to fly or not. So it seems yeah. like they're really making an effort to, um, to not kill the industry, but to make it safe. And you know, so. you, you know, DJI, uh, DJI, at least I'm not sure about the other manufacturers, but I know DJI has their drone set after that, after that White House thing, they pushed an update that has no fly zones built into the aircraft. So it won't even take off if you're near an airport or a government facility or some sort of, you know, a park oh, wow. or restricted airspace, won't even take off the ground. But that said, many of these kits are homebrew, right? So you can, you can build your own drone and you don't have to build any restrictions into it. Yeah. You can do whatever you want, which begs the question, like all of these rules that are coming up from the FAA and you know, Tokyo's making moves and all, you know, I, I would imagine over the next five to 10 years, the entire planet will be mm -hmm. relatively regulated in terms of these UAVs, but it's regulating the honest people, right? <laughs> so the Always. dishonest people will still have power to do whatever they want to do, you know, whatever nefarious type things they want to do, like drop sands of irradiated sand on the emperor's <laughs> house, right? So, like, so what, Martin, what to do about that? Is there anything to do other than the brute force approach of sitting up RoboCop drones? Yeah, I, I think that that's, you know, this is probably the first step, but if someone does decide to make something like that, then it's obvious that they, they're trying to circumvent the you know the the restrictions that are in place so yeah you know th slap them with the two hundred and fifty thousand dollar fine you know, it's, yeah it's, but it's scary i mean that's that's assuming you catch them i mean it's like a uh mm. you know and in, in the there's a big problem of gun violence in the united states right mm. so you have a gun and someone files a serial number off of the gun now it's an anonymous gun yeah. same thing could happen with drones right only yeah. Well, arguably much worse a drone a, a a gun can only kill one person at a time depending on the gun yeah. a drone properly equipped could do a little bit more damage just saying yeah, right yeah. So, so i think that what it is is if if someone the, the, <laughs> these the three years in prison and the two the two hundred fifty thousand dollar fine that's probably for you know anything where someone takes takes a drone and does something that they really shouldn't be doing with it but if someone does what you're saying, then it, it becomes it's a murder case. And, you know, yeah. there, there's all sorts yeah. of other stuff going off. So, I mean, people will find ways to do stupid things and, and bad yeah. things with everything. Um, we've been talking about the, the thought of licensing. There's been talk in Japan for years of actually having people do it, take a license like a like a driving license for bicycles because people are doing stupid things on bikes all the time. They totally right. ignore the traffic lights. They, you know, there, there was a, a woman killed a few months ago where someone was looking at his phone while he was on his bicycle, ran into an old lady and the, and the girl died, you know, oh, so geez. it's like, yeah. and, and that sort of stuff happens all the time. And so I think that there's, there's, you know, no matter what 
sort of thing we're talking about, whether it's a bicycle, pretty much anything, there's there's always the potential for people to do harm, either mm. by you know willingly or or by accident. And so I think that it's good to have these this sort of legislation in place where they've the the police have got the ability to do a certain amount and and adjust it depending on whether or not there was you know some ill intent behind the action. Um, right. But yeah, I I really do think that I mean we've been saying that this seems as though it's probably a first step. I feel as though there needs to be some sort of a connection to the the drone, as you were saying earlier, Frederick and Matt as well. I mean it, we we just need a I think we need to get the system. It needs to be easy so that it doesn't deter people from doing it. Um, yeah. I think that the you know the the app that tells people where they can fly and where they can't. That sort of thing is really necessary because yeah. the first thing that someone's going to say is, you know, you're flying near an airport and and the first thing people will say, oh, I didn't even realize. And if mm. people if people can honestly come across as as having not realized that there was a problem, then they you know, they're either That's it's the either a way for <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, but they'll say, you know, the courts here will say ignorance of the law is no defense of the law. Exactly. <laughs> you know, but 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 it's you know, people will claim that. And so I think yeah. that giving people the tools, it's great that, that the FAA are doing that. Because giving yeah. people the tools to know is the biggest it's gonna be the biggest part for the majority of people that want to fly zone drones and want to keep out of trouble. You know, they, if you give people tools to actually do that. It's it's got to be a good thing, and this this whole thing to me seems like a, a good step in the right direction, with the necessity to actually link the serial numbers and the drones to people as well. Love it, Matt. Do you have anything to add to that? No, I agree totally. But it's always the case that legislation is legislating the good people, and yeah. that's why the penalty's there for the people who want to break it. But the risk is that it becomes either politicized or a media talking point, which will give it more and more attention, especially when something goes wrong. And the privacy issue of this is what will do that. It will become a hotter topic when somebody crashes it trying to get naked video of Beyonce in her backyard, and then it'll be everywhere, and then it'll get regulated. But I wouldn't draw the gun analogy because that's something that's so politicized and, in my opinion, the laws are so wrong on. Um, yeah. Hopefully that yeah. doesn't happen I mean, because America is leading the way and others will follow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, the Beyonce thing, the privacy thing is one one facet of this issue. I think another if 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 that happened, you know, someone got caught using a drone spying on a celebrity, I think that would make like TMZ news or something and then be gone in the next news cycle. But if someone brought down a plane or did something where a substantial loss of life occurred and was directly attributable to this UAV, then we'll start seeing sweeping change. Just like the, you know, <laughs> the idiot that wore the bomb in his shoe in an airport. Now everyone on the, in airports in the U.S. have to take off their shoes to go through security. So, you know, the way to get around it then, because you're right, a tragedy should bring mass change. But with guns, it doesn't. So unless they tie a gun to a drone, then it'll probably get swept under the rug. <laughs> that's well, that, exactly that's, right. That's been done as well, though, right? There it was, has been done. Yeah, yeah. there was a guy yeah. that did that. Yeah, you're right. It just is so weird. You know, it, it's bizarro. We can't we can't take the show into that political realm, which we already are. But <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch. It, no, it's it's been it's, this whole thing has been interesting to watch, and this is just the latest page turn. It's not the end of the yeah. book. It's the the latest turd in this chapter in a really really exciting industry but listeners if you if you have a drone you want to register it it costs five dollars to uh to uh get your registration 
but they'll refund that $5 if you register before January 20th of 2016. And the registration certificate will be sent to you in an email and you can print it at home and stick it in your drone case and you're good to go. So I would I would do that if I were you because it's essentially free. It costs you nothing, but it could cost you up to $27,500 <laughs> or three years in jail, $250,000 if you do something wrong with it. All right, guys, let's move on to story number two. Another a fun story. I guess the last story was fun. This is more lighthearted. Google has added shared memories to Google Photos. I've been waiting for this from a company like Google to do this, where you have a service where you can do a photo walk or you know, have a family event like we're coming up on the holidays and, you know, fam- everyone's taking pictures with their phones and cameras and all that to have one pooled share of images. It's easy for everyone to join without jumping through a bunch of hoops. So uh, they've done that. So they've added what they're calling a fast and simple way to pull your photos and videos that makes it easier to bring everyone's memories together. All right, Martin. What do you think of this? Is this good? Like you do the workshops, you know, all over the place all the time. Would you use this in your workshops where you have all your attendees pull their images in one place and then you can go through them and kind of give them your critique? Well, we we do something similar to this using Google Plus groups for some of the workshops if the if the participants want to do this. But the thing is with this is really easy because it's easy to do from your your uh, Android or your iPhone but I think that for a lot of the time with my tours, I we're shooting with DSLRs or mirrorless cameras, and we'd have to actually put them on the phone to do this. Yeah. Um, yeah. And well, I mean, there's probably a way to to do it from a computer as well, I'm sure. But the I don't think it's the sort of thing that we would I would sort of build in because it's it's more for for people that are just you know like like it says parties. You go you you go out for a party, and um, so I can. I can imagine a, a, the the pool from a stag night being pretty cool to look at, but you know, the, there's there's really uh, I think that it's great. Probably not the sort of thing that I'm going to be using a lot because I've I've already got my systems in place and and I share my my photos in a certain way, um, and also I'm I'm not a very social person in the first place. So I was <laughs> like, I my, don't really have any friends to share with. Exactly. <laughs> so so I I mean. I, I, I personally am not that excited about it, but I've looked at the you know the story. I've looked at what they're what they're offering. It does look like a, a great way to share images from something like this. Um, you know, events, things, you know, various. There's various scenarios that I can imagine that would be really useful, and it does look as though they've done a good job of it. It's just like select the images and just add to the pool, and yeah. so. Yeah, I mean they they've done a good job. It's the sort of thing that I, that I would have, uh, you know, I think that a lot of people are going to be really excited to see. Um, just for me, I I don't really see me using this a lot because I, I've not really done this in the past. I, yeah. The only thing I do these days is I whenever I'm traveling, I create a a Google not a Google a, a Lightroom shared collect uh, like a, a synchronized uh, collection, mm-hmm. and I throw the best shots from each day into a collection and I'll I'll just generally either set up my wife or anyone that needs to see those photos with Lightroom mobile and just have them go in and check the check the images out. I can do that for customers if I want to. I can be on on a, a location and shoot some images and put them in just give just give a customer a web link and they can look at the images as as I put them in. Um but yeah, they, I've already got my process for that sort of thing, and I don't think that what I'm doing 
is really going to lend itself to just a, a more lighthearted um, sharing system. But I think that's that's the beauty of it. It's it's yeah. just easy and and it's really seems as though it's going to be really really good for people that want to share that sort of party events things like that. Yeah, I wonder I wonder how this is going to work because I this the workshop that I was on it's uh it was run by Ralph Velasco who's going to be hosting our travel show by the way. Um, so it's run by him and he had the way that he runs his, he sets up a Facebook group that all the, it's a private Facebook group that all the participants have access to and they upload and share images and like and comment and do all that sort of thing. But it's, it's within the confines of Facebook, which I would argue most people already have accounts on. So, you know, it's, it's good to have these, these different choices. Matt, would you, would you use something like this, you know, as you. To be you honest, everything I was your, planning your to say life? pretty much was what you guys covered, except that I have not used Google Photos at all. Oh. Um, I use for personal stuff Facebook for and for my new series where I want it to be more restricted group. Then we have private Facebook groups for some of my work or my courses. And then for things that are semi-public, like say a photo walk where we want the participants to be able to share stuff, but then for the you know, the wider audience to be able, you know, for anyone to be able to see them. So I'm sure there'll be people who are into it. Um, I've been to weddings where they have like a special app where you can download the app and then share your photos and then everyone can see them. It's It makes sense to do, but for me, no, I can't see myself using it. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, I think you guys both hit it on the head. The, a service or a feature of a service like this is probably more geared towards social gather gatherings like Christmas. Mm -hmm. You know, everyone's in there, they've got their iPhone, their Android phones, or most, you know, as per Flickr, most photos these days are being taken that way anyway. So they're shooting and throw them on Google photos. If everyone's using this, they share a link and everyone's happy. So yeah, we'll have to see. I'll give it, a, I'll give it a try on Christmas Eve. We'll see how it works out. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to look at some or take a look at a story that claims to have leaked photos and specs on a brand new Nikon, the D5. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by FreshBooks, the easy-to-use invoicing solution that's helping freelancers and small business owners get organized and save time invoicing. You can try FreshBooks for free. Just head over to freshbooks.com twip and enter twip in the how did you hear about us section when you sign up. And as I've said on This Week in Photo before, we use FreshBooks as the back end to basically run most of the stuff behind the scenes on this business to keep the lights on and to keep everybody happy. Because as we all know, as creative professionals, we're not necessarily focused on capturing our income, expenses, and tracking billable time and all that. And I think the reason that we don't capture all of those things is simple. It's boring. We're creatives. We like fun stuff. We like Photoshop and Lightroom and you know, all these other cool things that let us express that side of our brain. And thankfully, FreshBook offers us as small business owners a way to quickly and easily keep track of our time and money without disrupting our workflow or, you know, sort of messing with our creative juices. With FreshBooks, you can invoice clients. It's easy. You can do it in seconds and expenses can be automatically imported so that you don't have to lift a finger. You're just doing the stuff on the back end while you do other cool stuff. You can even track billable time as easy as starting a timer on your, on your mobile phone. You can whip up business reports. You can stay on top of your income, expenses, and tax time is coming up. So with a couple of clicks, you can generate reports for your CPA or your accountant so that you're staying out of trouble. So 
Grab some popcorn, learn how to fresh books by watching some of their free getting started webinars. I'm a big fan of webinars and they've got some excellent ones online for you to check out. Once again, if you want to check FreshBooks out, you can just head over to freshbooks.com slash TWIP, enter the code This Week in Photo or TWIP in the How Did You Hear About Us section to start your free 30-day trial. All you need is an email address to, uh, to try FreshBooks for free for 30 days. Just go over to freshbooks.com slash TWIP and enter TWIP in the How Did You Hear About Us section. And we want to thank FreshBooks for their support of This Week in Photo. All right, guys, we are back. Uh, this next story, number three, is about Nikon. So Nikon, this comes to us from our friends over at Petapixel. And uh, they, it looks like they're about to rev the next flagship DSLR for professional photographers. And these are some linked rumors that comes to Petapixel via Nikon Rumors. Um, and they, they've been sharing these specs for about a month, but it says now they've gotten their hands on some photos of the new D5. And we'll link over to this in the blog post for this episode. So it's got some small tweaks on there. They said it's got a, a you know, some, some kind of industrial redesigns on. It's largely the same. It's got a new ISO button, no mode button on top, a relocated video recording button, and microphone holes above the, the, uh, the D5 moniker on there. Um, some of the more important features are that it now has 153, and all of this is speculative, of course, but 153 autofocus points with a new focusing module that has a larger coverage, coverage area, and there's also a native high ISO of... 102,400 up just from just 25,600 in the D4S. Now, both of you guys, do both of you guys shoot? No, Martin, you shoot Canon, right? Martin? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and Matt, you, are you still shooting Nikon? I remember you were before. Yep. You shoot Nikon? So what do you, Matt, let's start with you then. So you're the only Nikon shooter. I'm a previous, I'm a recovering Nikon shooter. You are <laughs> still a Nikon shooter. I, what do you think of this? Is this, is this, the, as per these speculative incremental changes, is this something that you would dive into? It's funny. Uh, well, uh, first of all, I had a policy that I never follow rumors, but they're just so right. accurate all the time now. <laughs> I really suspect that it's the company sharing this stuff. So when yeah, this one came yeah. out, you know, to, to be honest, oh, two things. So first of all, I don't think at this point in the market that having 153 focus points and this ISO as opposed to 199 and that ISO will make a difference. People who are waiting for the upgrade are going to buy it. That's it. They're not going to switch yeah. to the One DX just because this is missing one small feature. But I, I wondered because Nikon announced a month ago, hey, guess what? We're working on the D5. Big whoop. Mm -hmm. And then, then three weeks later, photos come out. So, yeah, no surprise. Yeah. But the only thing that makes me think probably it wasn't Nikon who leaked these photos is the photos show, show it rocking and signals. So, so it was probably unintentional leak. Yeah, well, say, say that one more time because we, we lost you when you said the last thing you think that makes you think it was leaked. Say that one oh, more time. Oh, sorry. It was um, sporting, sporting a Sigma lens in the photos, not a Nikon lens. Oh, hmm. right, right. Yeah, I'm looking at that now. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Interesting. I don't so, know. You know, not, I'm not going to I'm not I'm resisting the urge to take this conversation in the direction of where's the mirrorless camera with the F mount Nikon. <laughs> so, why? Um, let's go uh, there. <laughs> all right. Let's go there, Nikon, dude. All right. <laughs> so wh where is it? 
Come on, you used to be known as the Nikon guy. I know you rebranded. You're no longer that guy. But <laughs> I'm asking you as my resident authority on all things Nikon, where is this, this well, here unicorn is my with the F-mount? frame Nikon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not an F-mount, Matt. <laughs> no, it's not. All those rumors about Samsung that I know have been poo-pooed by Samsung and others, I still think yeah. there may be some truth in them. Um, and if there is some kind of buyout going on, they would have to stay hush-hush about it and not everyone would even know about it. So I I hope they do yeah. because they have to see the writing on the wall that Sony is killing it with a full-frame interchangeable lens, mirrorless, and, and the Canon and the Nikon not great. They're just not. Um, but it yeah. wouldn't be F-mount because to use the current lenses requires a flange distance of that big. So what kind of mirrorless is it going to be if it's just the same camera but with the mirror taken out? That's There's no yeah. advantage to that. It would be something with a much smaller flange distance like the Sony's, like the Samsung, like the Fuji's with a great adapter. You know, the Sony 3 adapters, I was actually really impressed. So I'm, I am actually using Sony's now as well. I've got the A7S2, A77R2. Cool. Um, my buddy's rocking the R2. He was using the A99. He got the adapters and the autofocus on it is phenomenal. Like he's yeah. shooting the 13518 and it's as fast as a native lens. It really impressed me. So if Nikon could bring out an awesome one with a great sensor, with a great adapter that I can use all the Nikon lenses I have, I would consider going back from Sony to Nikon completely. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. When, when, when people say, yeah, it's coming, we know it's coming. I always think about that. Like it's like the sun, you know, we know the sun is going to go supernova <laughs> at some point. <laughs> but, you know, but it's a good time of you to say Christmas is coming too. Come on. Where's our bloody <laughs> present? But I know exactly <laughs> when Christmas is coming. The supernova, however, is going to be, you know, a couple billion years, a hundred billion years from now. And it's not really relevant. You know, things will be a little <laughs> bit different by the time the sun goes supernova. Let's just say. Martin, what do, what do you think? This uh, D4 or D5, is this a... Uh, is this something, I mean, even as a Canon shooter, is this something that tempts you to move to the Nikon side or are you still stuck on Canon? No, nothing, nothing's going to tempt me to move, but that's not because it's not a great camera. It's just that I'm, I'm always, I'm happy with my gear. Um, yeah. But I think that it, it is nice to see, you know, that a lot of the problems with this class of camera, you know, basically a sports and wildlife camera is it's always the the small focus area and if that's being increased in size that's got to be a good thing um 153 autofocus points that, you know it's it's probably just more of the sort of the changes that we've seen over the years you know 10 years ago we had nine we had seven um then it was 40 something 50 something 60 something it's a big leap so i'm sure that the people that are waiting for the the, the next sports wildlife camera from nikon are going to be excited about it i would be if it was in the canon camera um but do, you, do you martin do you ever wonder like are you the because you, you shoot with these cameras <clears throat> excuse me all the time are you the guy that's like you know what i really can't get i can't get the shots that i'm trying to get because i only have a hundred focus points i need 40 or 53 more focus points mm. in order to be a really good photographer I mean, no, is that no i i don't think I don't think any of it changes how good a photographer we are. I think what it does is it changes, it can change the photogra photographs that we create. Um, you know, there, there are 
benefits to having more if you're trying to photograph something i mean birds in flight animals moving around even sports events if you yeah. want to if you want to focus on someone that's outside of that you know you've, you've got a great shot lined up all you needed to really nail that shot was a little bit wider focus area mm-hmm. then it's going to help some people it, it definitely will um but having said that i'm i'm currently so in love with the 5dsr that I'm probably going to be shooting wildlife with the, I mean, it's like a five frames per second. Um, the, the focus area is tiny compared to the 7D Mark II, which is my, my, currently my, um, my wildlife camera. I've sold the 1DX because I couldn't warrant keeping something that was four times the 7D Mark II um, in price. Yeah. And, and, you know, th- there's a whole bunch of reasons be- behind that. But I, I love the bigger focus area in the 7D Mark II. But I'm going to be limiting my ability to to get as many good photographs because over the coming winter season, I'm going to be using the 5DSRs most of the time. It's got a smaller focus area. It's slower frame rate. But I just I, I want the 50 megapixel files over the 20 megapixel files. Yeah. So for me, I yeah, sure, I, I, I'm going to allow myself to, to drop back a little bit. I won't get as many photographs. But I think the ones that I do nail, will be so much more beautiful because I'll be able to print them huge and there's a whole whole bunch of other stuff. Um, yeah. Plus, and I don't want to make this a, a Canon discussion, it's, an, it's, it's about the Nikon, but I, I also can, can crop down significantly and still get a 20, 20 megapixel file that's within the, the range or the area of the frame where the focus points are. So there's a whole bunch of reasons why I'm happy to do that. Um, but I, I think that, you know, if, if you are not worried about the... The megapixels, um, sports, you know, anyone that's, pho- that's photographing sports for, for the media, they don't need 50 megapixels anyway. 20 is plenty. And giving them, a, a, you know, the more tools to, to create images that they, they can, you know, make more money with, you know, that giving people tools like that, it's going to be a good thing. But yeah. I, I do think that there's, there's you know, the, the whole thing about mirrorless and, and like Matt was saying, they're getting really good. I think, I still think that based on feedback that I've heard, even the, the latest mirrorless with the adapters aren't quite as good as, as a, a DSLR with, a, you know, the, um, the autofocus mm-hmm. just seems a little bit snappier. But it's very, very close. And I think that, you know, I know that we've got a listener question later related to this. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's um, it, you know, the mirrorless is definitely an option now. And I think that yeah. there's, you know, people are still considering, okay, so do I buy the next D, the next Nikon, the next Canon, or do I just go off and get a Sony or an Olympus or whatever? You know, th- there's a whole bunch of great options now. And that's what makes it such a good time to be to be a photographer because we've got so much, so many options. The answer to that is always depends, right? It depends yeah, on what you're depends. shooting, right. how much money you have, what yeah. you're invested in already. You know, yeah. there's there's no one right answer for any any person but yeah mm. man i'm with you man i i really i really want to see change in these companies <laughs> i want to see i want to see some movement on the dslrs or on the nikon side specifically oh nikon and canon in regards to i think they're like i feel like they own the, it's like their crown you know it's like they own you know digital photography in a lot of ways and i feel like they're just letting these other companies that you know that are doing really good things but they have all these core competencies and glass works and all this stuff they could crush it but they're not crushing it i don't i don't mm. know 
It seems like for the only motivation a couple of years ago would be they didn't want to cannibalize their own sales, but surely they can see that now it's Sony or Olympus or Fuji that are cannibalizing their sales. Do you want them to say, should I buy a full-frame Canon or Nikon DSLR or a full-frame Canon or Nikon mirrorless, or should I instead of that get a Sony because the Canon mirrorless sucks? You know, Right, right. <laughs> right. Yeah, you hit it right on the head. You know, you you know, are you going to cannibalize yourself or be cannibalized by others? At least keep it in the family. If you're going to yeah, cannibalize. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> All right, guys, let's, uh, let's take another break. When we come back, we're going to hit that listener question that Martin talked about. This show is brought to you by audible.com. They're the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. And one book that I'm listening to right now, I almost said reading, but I'm not really reading it. I'm kind of listening to it because it's an audiobook. But it's uh, it's called The $100 Startup by Chris Gillibo. And you spell his last name G-U-I-L-L-E-B-E-A-U. And what's interesting about this book is many of you know, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you know that I'm really sort of uh, half of my brain is photography, the other half is marketing. And the marketing side of my brain leaks into the photography side <laughs> from time to time. Um, and this book kind of straddles both of those because it's, it's kind of one of those books that that I love because they, they do these sort of um, uh, case studies of different people that have been successful with these micro businesses, like one, two person businesses that are just making exponentially more money than they were making in their corporate jobs. And it's just really, really interesting to hear some of the success stories and get enthusiastic about people that are doing this stuff and and sort of uh, going against the grain. And uh, the title of the book, the title of the book is The $100 Startup. So he talks about these small companies that sort of follow the 37 signals rule of not taking investment income, you bootstrap it yourself and voila, you have a company that's sort of, you know, it's uh, it's like fusion, you know, it's generating its own replenishing energy source. So definitely give it a listen. Um, once again, that's the $100 startup by Chris Gillibo. And if you want to get that for free for our listeners, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to kick the tires and uh, try out the service. And uh, if you want to get that, just head over to audiblepodcast.com slash twip. That's audiblepodcast.com slash twip. Now let's get back to our program. All right, it is time for some listener Q&A. This week's question is from Sam. Sam says, I'm quickly approaching a point in my young professional photography career where I feel I really need to commit to a camera system. I shoot Canon now and have invested a bit in equipment, but before I make any significant purchases, I really want to be sure about my choice. I'm pretty torn about the possibility of switching to a mirrorless system to keep future-proofed. Have any of you recently made the switch? If so... Is there anything you, you wish you knew before you did? What's your favorite benefit of switching and what was the most troublesome? So, Matt Granger, I'm going to throw it to you first. Martin has not switched and is not mirrorless. You are, were DSLR, and now I would assume you're hybrid, right? You're shooting both. Mm -hmm. yep. um, so so what do you think? So these are, there's a couple of questions in here. So there's a bunch, the first yeah. one is, yeah, so the first one is anything you wish you knew before you made the switch? What would you say to that? 
Okay, so let's see. I'm still working my way through it. So I um, there was features that the the Sony's offered that I wanted, um, mm-hmm. uh, including the peaking 4K video, great uh, Zeiss lenses with autofocus. You know, my recent trip to Bhutan and Mongolia, I took the A7R2 and the D810. And I found that I shot with them probably in the key moments equally, but in the overall trip, I did actually shoot more with the mirrorless. But there were, I guess we have to keep in mind that high-end mirrorless is only a couple of generations old, whereas high-end DSLR is 10 or 15 years old. Um, So, that you know, what Martin said is true as a general statement. It's probably true that DSLRs focus faster and whatnot. There are some fantastically fast combos out there like, the underpraised Olympus OM-1, it, it focuses like crazy, man. I don't think a DSLR yeah. could keep up with that, actually. But um, I was in major disappointments. I actually made a dedicated video about the, all the things that pissed me off about the Sony. It, it locked up a whole bunch. It was laggy a lot. It uh, Now I'm finding that they overheat like crazy when I'm filming 4K. Like, what's the point of spending all that for a 4K camera if you can't actually do any decent clips on them? So without knowing what he's shooting, I would say you really want to figure that out, like work out what's going to meet your needs and forget about system. I don't think even though mirrorless is, you know, seems to be really taking off, I don't think in five years we'll find they've stopped making great DSLRs. So I don't think you need to future-proof yourself in that regard. But I would say forget about systems at the moment and write down what do you shoot, what features you need, uh and practically what do you need because when i took my nikon i had two spare batteries when i took my sony's i had six or eight spare batteries i know i know yeah i've, I've and seen the that buffering is a real to, issue yeah yeah that's that's interesting you say that so you know the overheating piece yeah with with shooting 4k that's huge um and the battery is uh you know I've, I've seen specifically with the a7 and the a7r i'm not sure about the a7s or the 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 two in the series but yeah a lot of shooters that i know and i know a lot of sony shooters because like you said it's a really popular system but they're like you they uh you know they have a you know a little stocking full of batteries that they take along with them <laughs> to make sure you don't run out because they eat batteries like candy bars but you know, if, if it means you're going to get the shot, then batteries yep. are relatively cheap and light. So you know, get more batteries. Problem and at, at the end of the day, that is what it comes down to, right? And there were times where having the mirrorless as a really lightweight kit when I was say climbing Tiger's Nest Mountain, uh, I didn't. I was glad not to have my DSLR and twenty-four to seventy. I was, and from all the trips this year where I've been using mirrorless, I'm really happy with the results. So that's also part of it. But there were also times where I was cursing and screaming and shouting because they were freezing up and I missed shots that I would not have missed for sure with my DSLR. So so. that's the worst. The worst feeling in the world is seeing a once in a lifetime shot shot slip by because (laughs) your camera is not wired properly to your brain. You know? Yeah. All right. Uh, Martin, you have anything to add to that? Not really. I mean, Matt nailed most of what I was also thinking. It really depends on what Sam wants to shoot. And, you know, the the lenses, the, the li- lineup of lenses is always something to consider as well. You know, it, if, if Sam is going to be shooting something where he needs telephotos, can he get them within the, you know, the, the mirrorless lineups that he's looking at? Or she could be, I mean, I'm assuming Sam's a he, but I could be wrong. And if I am, I apologize. Mm. Um, but, uh, 
I yeah, I think that it really is just a case of looking at what what's available um, and just making sure that it's going to be adequate for the sort of things that you want to shoot. Um, and and if you don't really need long, really long lenses, and you don't need, um, I mean, there are there are now mirrorless systems that are um, weatherproof as well, so it doesn't need to be ruled out. But if you need weatherproofing, there's certain things that you need to look into. There's a whole bunch of stuff that you need to keep keep in mind. Um, but like Matt says, you know, DSLRs aren't going anywhere. Future proofing, I would say that you would be even going out on a limb here. You'd be better off staying with DSLRs if you want to future proof yourself because the mirrorless systems are still very young and we don't really know where they're going to be in five, 10 years time. Right. They probably will still be using the same lenses, but it's, it's, I would, if I had to bank on one or the other, I would stay stick with DSLRs for future proofing because it's the, the technology has been around so long um, from the film days that most of it is, is probably still going to be here, you know, and the same in 10 years time, whereas the mirrorless could not be. You know, the thing about that is if, speaking to the point of future proofing with DSLRs, if you stick with your DSLR now and, you know, there's this mad rush to mirrorless, that doesn't mean all the lenses and glass and all that stuff that were d built for the DSLRs evaporates and gets crushed. It's still there. Now you kind of have the pick of the litter of all yeah. these, these lenses on the cheap that you could get. And still, you know, it's not like you're going to make substandard images. You're still going to make amazing images you're just not going to be using you know the mirrorless systems and having those benefits well you but. know I, I actually i think matt mentioned earlier that there's no benefit to just taking the mirror out of a dslr but i, I you know playing a little bit of devil's advocate here the the mirror is the reason that we've only got so many frames per second because they have to get that up and down each time if mm. you can do if you have like a an electronic shutter getting rid of the the uh the mirror in a in a dslr or in you know the a a full size body can actually has have benefits, whereas it can just allow us to go to stupid, really, really high frame rates and things like that. So, uh, and plus, you still keep the the depth of field and the you know the the sensor size and all of that. So, I think that there are even arguments for that. And of course, if that happens, then all of the glass. I mean, I, I've I've mentioned it before. I've got one lens in my lens cabinet behind me that costs more than a small car. You know, I, yeah. I don't want to be, re I don't want to be replacing that if I can. So I, you know, I think that the, as far as, um, future proofing is concerned, you know, the, it, there are, there are th things to consider when going to a mirrorless system as well. So, but it really is just a case of, of weighing up all of your options. And I don't think that with the information that we've got here, without even knowing the sort of photography that Sam is shooting, then. I, I think it's it's difficult to say yes, this is what you should do. But yeah, yeah. yeah. It's always it's always like when someone says, Hey, what camera should I buy or should I buy this camera? It's like, okay, that's like asking someone, Hey, what person should I marry? Or <laughs> what car what car should I buy? You mm. know, it's the answer's always it depends, dude. <laughs> it just depends. <laughs> So, all right, guys, um, listeners, if you have a question you'd like us to tackle on the show, just hit us up at thisweekinphoto.com and click on that submit a question link, send us a question or leave us a voice message and we will answer it on the show. And coming up after this next break, 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 we're going to share our picks of the week.
This episode is brought to you by lynda.com, the online training platform with over 3,000 on-demand video courses to help you strengthen your business, technology, and creative skills. For a free 10-day trial, just visit lynda.com slash twip. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash T-W-I-P. Now, lynda.com is for problem solvers, creative people, or just people who want to make things happen. Maybe you want to master Excel or learn negotiation tactics or build a website or even boost your Photoshop skills. Just go to lynda.com and feed your curious mind. lynda.com offers a ton of courses on Lightroom, Photoshop, and the Adobe Creative Cloud, and many on just getting inspired or re-inspired about your photography. With a lynda.com membership, you can watch and learn from top experts who are passionate about teaching, and you can stream thousands thousands of video courses on demand and learn at your own schedule. And courses are structured so that you can watch them from start to finish or you can consume them in bite-sized pieces. You can even download tutorials and watch them on the go from your iOS or Android device. Your lynda.com membership will give you unlimited access to training on hundreds of topics all for one flat rate. So whether you're looking to become an industry expert, you're passionate about a hobby, or just want to learn something new, visit lynda.com slash twip and sign up for your free 10-day trial. That's l-y-n-d-a dot com slash twip. All right, guys, we're back. It's time for the Picks of the Week segment. Remember, you can recommend anything to the TWIP Army as long as it is somehow related to photography. Matt Granger, I'm going to let you go first. You haven't been on in a millennium or so. What's your pick Very of the week? Very kind. Uh, so this is something that's been announced. It's not out yet, so I haven't tested it, but I, it looks good in theory. Um, Sigma have announced they're going to be making uh, protection filters that are some the hundreds of times more strength than strength in glass. So for me, I don't use protection filters. I think people use them as a security blanket, but I don't think they actually offer much compared to the front element of your lens, which is already incredibly tough. Putting a filter on, it may smash, but that doesn't you know, necessarily mean it saved your lens. But something that actually can prevent it from scratches and you know, not degrade the image too much, I'm all for that. All right. Awesome. Now repeat that again because we may have lost you when you right at the critical point when you were saying the name of the product. Ah, I don't the exact product name. I'm not sure, but Sigma have announced some new uh, ceramic protection filters. They're calling it yeah, WR ceramic protection filter. That's it. Got it. Perfect. Perfect. Cool. Awesome. Good pick of the week. Do you know what the what the price of those those filters are? Uh, it's just announced. No pricing and availability. Dot dot dot. So I'd say my pick ah. of the week is some really strong protection filters that actually do something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good protection is always a good choice. <laughs> All right, Martin Martin Bailey, what's your pick of the week? Uh, I'm going to go for the Valorette photography gloves. I, I've just received my a pair of these, and they're really good. They, you know, the search for gloves, I've got a, like a bag full of gloves, old gloves that I've been through in over the years. And the search for good winter photography gloves is always a, an ongoing thing. But I think that these guys are really onto something. They, um, they've got really good rubberized grip on them. They've got easy to, you know, you've got the flip top fingers. And uh, they're, they're actually running a, a Kickstarter as well at the moment. By the time people get this, the, you know, this coming weekend, there'll only be a day or so left. But 
uh, even if you miss that at photographygloves.com uh, you can get some really really good winter winter photography gloves um, they've got all sorts of things on there. They've even got like a built-in microfiber back. So if you need to, in a, in a push, you can just wipe your lens with the, oh, nice. with the back of your glove, um, all sorts of things. And, and they're not, they're not overly expensive either. So check out the Valorette photography gloves at photographygloves.com. And, and I miss it. Did, did you say that these gloves actually have the, the capacitive touch fingers on there so that you can operate your cell phone or no, touch you have to flip the top they're they're oh, quite okay. thick they're you know they are relatively warm gloves um and usually the ones that you can use with without flipping your finger out are, are really thin so that they can get the the electrical um you know the, the electronic electronic the electrical pulses from your hand go across yeah. but the uh, when they're, they're really thick so you do have to flip your the the top of your finger off the the grip on them is really really good um, it's like a soft rubber. Doesn't look very flimsy. It's not the sort of stuff that's going to be peeling off or anything like that. Um, but they, so you've got really good grip, and the the gloves are thin enough that you can use most of the controls. You can still use the the aperture rings and the rings on the back of the camera, things like that. Um, but if you really need to fit, I, I find that what I need to do more than anything is when I'm um, changing uh, CF cards, things like that. And there are times when you just have to take your fingers out, um, but it's really easy to do that. And, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm really liking these gloves. I've not used them in the field yet. I have played with them and, and uh, I will be giving them a really good field test over the, over the winter months coming up. Um, but, but yeah, I, I can see already from the build and the, the features that they've built into these gloves that they're, they're onto a winner. All right. Well, we'll check in with you after you've had a chance to put them through their paces. And that this this company, Valorette, is the company Valorette Photography Gloves. Yep. Their URL has got to be the best URL for a photography product. <laughs> exactly. Photog- their URL is just photographygloves.com. You know, right. how can you how can you even if you're driving, you can remember that when you get to the office. Right? Exactly. Right. Yeah. Love they've it. done a good, good job. job. Yep. All right, guys, my my pick is actually a tip and not an actual product. And this is one of those pearls of knowledge that I culled from this last trip to Southeast Asia, Vietnam. Um, So I'm going to rant about this on my my other YouTube channel, but I'm going to give you a preview of the rant here. So in preparation for this trip, Frederick goes to AT&T, the AT&T store in his neighborhood, to let them know, hey, I'm going to Southeast Asia. I need to. I need you to ring me with your international calling plan so that my phone will work when I get to this said communist country, right? So, th- yeah, Matt's shaking his head. AT&T proceeds, and I have the guy's name here. I'm going to have to call him out. And his name is Mario Delgado. So Mario says, <laughs> Mario proceeds to sell me a plan on AT&T after I told him, dude, I'm going to Vietnam. I just want to make sure my phone works, you know, all good. I've done this before when I went to Paris and it it worked like a charm. I'm going to Vietnam this time. Let's hook me up. Charged me, said, you're good to go, Frederick. You're not going to have any problems. Enjoy the trip. Come show me some photos when you get back. I get to Vietnam. Nothing works. I call and I start getting these nasty text messages from AT&T saying you're over and we're going to shut your phone off and all this stuff. So I call AT&T and they say, oh, hey, I don't know what you're talking about. We don't have any coverage in, in Vietnam at all. We don't have any roaming agreements or anything there. It's going to be $2.50 a minute for, for calling and some ungodly number for data. You know, So long story short is 
through a series of gyrations, I had to end up because my phone was locked. It's a locked phone on AT&T's network. Uh, and because it was a locked phone or many of you may have been saying, hey, why not just go get a SIM card and stick it in there and rock and roll? Can't do that because the phone was locked. So I had to end up going to a local store in Vietnam, buying a new phone that's unlocked and then buying a little cheap SIM card to put in there so I could at least iMessage and get data and all that stuff while I was in the field. All because of AT&T. Thanks for nothing, AT&T, <laughs> for trying to destroy my trip. I have not gone to said Mario Delgado to have a conversation with him yet, but I will be having a conversation with him hopefully before the holidays. So my tip to the TWIP listeners is to, I know it's going to cost more to get an unlocked phone here in the U.S. I don't know how it is in Japan or in Australia, but here it costs you an arm and a leg to get an unlocked phone if you're, if you're not bound to a particular carrier. But if you're going to be traveling a lot, or at all, I would recommend getting an unlocked phone so you can get that local SIM card for, I think I paid, God, what was it? Like uh, the equivalent of 10 bucks or something. And I used, I had data and voice for the entire almost month that I was there. It just stuck it in there and it, I was good to go. So do that from now on. I now rock a completely unlocked iPhone 6S Plus that I purchased in Vietnam. And uh, this is what I'll be using from now on. So I need comments on this. So from both of you guys, Matt, you travel, both of you guys travel outside of your native countries all the time. How do you handle the cell phone issue and staying connected? Unlocked phone. Unlocked it's phone. Almost, <laughs> it's almost always better to, I find for me anyway, to grab a SIM when you land. And last time I was in Vietnam, I literally went to a lady who had a, a table on the street, not even a table, just a woman sitting on the street who was selling SIM cards, she cracked open a thing, stuck it in my phone, I think it was a dollar, and that gave me yeah. data for about a week. Um, America is probably the worst. It costs 40 or 50 bucks to get a month of data, um, but pretty much everywhere else, you uh, it's a lot cheaper. Um, the only thing is you, um, you lose your number, but if you're using things like WhatsApp or whatever, it's registered to the phone anyway, so you don't lose that. Lose that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that's that was the big lesson. Martin, are you the same? Do you uh, do you rock an unlocked phone, or are you are you bound to your carrier? No, I'm bound to the carrier, and I've many times I've thought, you know what, I'm just gonna the next time I upgrade my phone, I'm gonna keep the old one rather than part exchange it. But yeah, I've never done that, and I generally regret it. Um, what I end up doing is just have to wait for Wi-Fi signal. I do everything on Wi-Fi. And that works in most countries. In Iceland, it's it's fine for me. In Namibia, it causes problems because, you know, that a lot of the places, even if they've got Wi-Fi, it's really slow and you can't Skype. You can't even get email sometimes. Um, so it really depends on where you're going. If you think that you're going to have good Wi-Fi coverage, then it's it's not such a big deal. But if not, yeah, an unlocked phone's the way to go for sure. I got to tell you, you guys, you're both right. The uh, the one thing, that, another thing that I learned was how far behind we are in the United States in terms of just data. Period. In Vietnam, like you're saying, Matt, you know, dirt roads, little hut selling stuff on the side of the road, all of them had hotspots everywhere, <laughs> free free Wi-Fi. I did not have to have data unless you know if you're going way out in the middle of nowhere and rice paddies and all that, you need data, of course. But inside of a reasonably populated area, 
like every you could walk down the street and there's like 30 open wi-fi spots that pop up so you could <laughs> i could have theoretically got along with like a like a ipod touch or something <laughs> while and I even was there. in places less developed than that you often find the mobile networks really really well developed like on the high altitude step in the middle of Peru, I have better cell phone reception than I do in my studio here in Sydney because they yeah. can put up towers easier than they can run cables. So no one has home phones. So a cell phone and it's only 3G data, but fine for email. Still. It's everywhere. You know, we're it's everywhere. I was out in the, what was it? A Halong Bay in Vietnam, out in the middle of nowhere, you know, floating on a boat. We spent the night on a boat in the middle of nowhere. I had four bars of signal. <laughs> Brilliant. I'm like, you know, it feels sort of primitive here and I kind of don't want to be connected, but I'm still connected. You know, I'm getting email floating in my little cabin doing email. You know, it's crazy. Craziness. But well, anyway, I, I, I emailed you while you were away and you were like, can you FaceTime? I'm thinking he's in Vietnam and he wants to FaceTime. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I was like, I was flush with data. I could do anything. I was yeah. Superman. It's crazy. <laughs> And then I come back here and my phone is like, oh, I got to get a signal. Oh, it's 3G. Oh, now it's 4G. Oh, it's back to 3G. It's, you know, craziness, craziness. All right. But anyway, get an unlocked phone. That's my pick of the week. All right, guys, before we sign off, I want to find out what you guys have coming up in the coming months. Martin, I know you're always running the world. What's what's kind of what's on your docket for the next couple of months? Yeah, well, we're we're less than a month away now from my Hokkaido landscape tour, which is it's a, a new tour um, made from some you know various locations that we visited over the years. Uh, we've got one place left open on that still. I, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. Um, still have one place if anyone's interested in doing some minimalist sort of Michael Kenner like uh, winter landscapes, and that that's at mbp.ac/hlpa. And we're also, most of the other trolls are still sold out, but we still have uh, spaces on my Greenland tour next year as well. And that's at mbp.ac slash Greenland. Very cool. Very cool. Always busy, man. You are, like, how many how many months out of the year are you actually sleeping in your own bed? Oh, you <laughs> know, I, I know people that travel. I've got a, a good friend who I, I did Namibia with uh, this year. Uh, called His name's Jeremy Woodhouse. He does like 14 tours a year, and they're all two two weeks long. He never wow. gets home. I, I actually, I my winter season is really busy. I'm away for pretty much the whole of the winter. Once we get into January, I'm, I'm going to be away for, uh, pretty much until March. But then for the rest of the year, I try to do just one or two tours per quarter because that gives me time then at home to write ebooks and to I mean I'm I'm basically a one man band here and and yeah. although I'm I'm looking for a, a reliable assistant I I'm still doing it all myself and so I I have to have block time at home to do all of the other stuff even just marketing future tours and preparing for them I'm I'm working on a Namibia tour for 2017 that I'm doing um we're just finalizing the pricing now but I have to do all of this and then market it and get get it all rolling. So yeah. I, I need time in the office as well. Yeah, you should uh, you should collaborate with Mister Granger over there. You know, he's got an army of minions helping him <laughs> do cool things. So yeah, I actually I'm, need to pick his brain about that too. I need to understand how how that minion, uh, <laughs> you know, Jedi mind trick stuff works. <laughs> That's it. I'm I'm updating my pick from filters to get yourself a good assistant. It will change your life. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, 
I, uh, I keep hearing that, and I'm, I'm just like, the definition of insanity. I keep hearing that. I know I need to do it, and then I, I still don't pull the trigger on it. But I will. 2016, I will. There'll be an army of assistants helping us build this network thing. Cool. All right, Matt, what's going on with you, man? What's coming up? Well, so the rest of the year, I'll be just flat out working on the Kickstart Your Photography course. So uh, being 26 weekly lessons, we got a lot, a lot of content to, to make and get all of that together. Um, and interacting with the new community. That one's at mattgranger.com forward slash kickstart. And then the traveling starts really early. I'll be off to Vegas on the very the first week of January for CES and for shooting, uh, then LA. Um, over the year, a lot. I'll be over to Japan in February for CP Plus and workshops. Oh. Then likewise, I'm doing a Namibia tour. Uh, that one's just sold out um, mid-year. Peru, Bhutan, Bhutan's actually officially going live this weekend, but it's uh, kind of had a lot of pre-sales already from EOIs. Uh, Mongolia, I'll be going to Germany uh, later in the year and hopefully Burma and Cuba through the year as well to do some recce's for future tours. This is so cool. I'm, that that just <laughs> blows me away. When you guys rattle off all these countries that you're going to, it's just like, that's, that's like, you're living the dream. You're living the dream. <laughs> And training people on photography at the same time. So, Matt, for those courses, the people can find them all at, or the, those tours at mattgranger.com? Uh, yeah. So, all of my workshops and downloads and everything you can pretty much get to from forward slash workshops. But um, so the tours are, well, it's a travel tour. I assume kind of like Martin's, it's a mix of travel and photography advice. But then when I say in Japan, I'm going for a workshop, that's to just do a you know, an actual workshop, not really a traveling type thing. So I just do the four tours per year at the moment. Okay. You're going to, you're going to increase that at all or you're going to keep it at Yeah, well, no, we're stepping it up a tour at a a year. So we started with just Peru, then uh, Peru, Mongolia, uh, next year adding Namibia and Bhutan. And then I'm looking to add Cuba, Burma. I've got a whole list. Love it. Love it. And these are, are these two weeks each or one? Uh, they vary uh, normally around uh, around 14 days, 12 to 14 okay. days. Yeah. Good. It's a good amount of time. All right, guys. Well, thank you both for coming on the show. It's been an educational, and we had even a little bit of TWIP controversy in the beginning there with the drone conversation. So <laughs> <laughs> thank you both for coming on the show. Very much appreciated. And uh, Nice we to are, meet you, Martin. Oh, yeah, you I know. Too, you Matt. guys have just met. That's a, uh, <laughs> you yeah. know. I, I always assume people that come on TWIP know each other. I don't know why. We're one big <laughs> now happy we family. Do. Now yeah, you do. do now. Connecting, connecting the dots. <laughs> All right. We're at the end of another episode of This Week in Photo. I want to thank our sponsors, Audible, FreshBooks, and Linda for their support of the show. That's lynda.com. And uh, with that, be sure to visit us at thisweekinphoto.com. We'll link to these guys' websites, social, Twitter, Google+, YouTube, all that stuff from the blog post for this episode. And uh, it's time to take that lens cap off. in photo is a pixelcore.tv production produced by Suzanne Llewellyn with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar. <laughs>